Well, it's a great privilege to be with you again this morning. Bless you. We always enjoy coming down and meeting with you, old friends and new. You know, I had uh, a bit of a shock a few weeks ago. You know, sometimes the Lord creeps up behind you and suddenly, ah, gets you. And uh, my son was taking a funeral for uh, one of the young people of his generation 30 years ago. And uh, his widow asked if I would speak at it. And they were having it in our local uh, parish church. So we needed one of the clergy, one of the vicars, to actually welcome people in. And then they have to sort of see them all out, sort of top and tail it. The widow said to me, uh, all the people coming, more or less, are sort of unchurched. They don't um, really know anything about Christian faith. So I think there were four people there who knew God, and there were 20 people who, as far as we know, had never been to church. So I said to the widow, I said, well, is it okay if I share the gospel. All she said that would be the greatest thing. I'd really, really appreciate that. So I said, well, would you be comfortable if I made an invitation at the end of my message to those who want to believe in the Lord? Oh, she said that would be the best thing out. So went ahead and uh, I shared quite a few of our own personal stories, how knew that God was real, how he answers prayer, how the Bible is absolutely true, and so forth. And uh, then I was just about to give the invitation when the vicar jumps up straight away. He said, just a minute, just a minute. I thought, oh my word, <laughs> I've blown it this time. And he said, I want you all to know that every word that this man has said is true. So I said, really? <laughs> oh, what a relief. <laughs> Then he said, uh, he said, I had cancer, and he said, this man prayed for me. He said, I've been healed. And I didn't know that. I mean, I knew I'd prayed for him, but I had no idea what the result was. And so I just teared up. I thought, isn't God good? This is absolutely amazing. And uh, so then we, 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 had a, we had a great altar call then, and had some, God did some work there. Well, this morning... Um, I want to talk about this very easy subject. It's called the justice of God. I've never ever heard anybody speak on the justice of God before. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what I say. (laughs) 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 To be known by God is an idea that divides humanity into two. There are those who long to know God and long to be known by God. And for Christians, I suppose it is um, no greater sense of solace or peace to realize that God knows me all my past, my failures, my mistakes, my sin, and yet he still loves me. He knows me through and through, and yet he still loves me. And that is such an incredible sense of security to go through life saying, well, whatever's happened in the past, God knows all about. I don't have to hide. I don't have to make up excuses. He knows me through and through. I am transparent before God. But for people who don't know God, nothing is more dreadful than the thought of being known completely by God than meeting him. Because everybody is going to meet God face to face. Graham Cook is a a man, I think he's based in Southampton now, and he has a remarkable gift of prophesying into individuals, and he, he sees many, many people believe on the Lord just through giving them a word of knowledge or prophecy. And uh, he said that 
Uh, a little while ago, there was the most remarkable story um, that I think perhaps he's heard, and certainly it was most remarkable. He said a lady had just been diagnosed with uh, cancer and had six months to live. So she contacted Graham and she said, look, Graham, I know you're a prophet. Would you tell me if God is going to heal me or I'm going to die? And so I was interested to know what Graham would answer to that one. And Graham said this. He said, well, um, he said, my friend, I never prophesy about births, deaths, and marriages. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, that's a good one. I'll remember that. <laughs> that's a good one. But he said, I suggest you go and ask God yourself. Go away and just wait on God. I mean, obviously the lady was a Christian lady. And uh, ask God um, what he says to you. Well, two days later, the lady contacted Graham again and uh, said, Graham, she said, I've been praying and waiting on God. I've heard nothing. God said nothing to me. So Graham said, well, go away and pray for another two weeks. Another two weeks. Just hold on to God there. Wait on God and see what God says to you in that two weeks. So the lady went off and she was trying to hear God, reading a Bible, going to church and one thing or another. And then... <clears throat> On the 14th day, she went to the supermarket and while shopping, she suddenly spied an old school friend of sort of 40 years previously there uh, with her granddaughter. <clears throat> and so they got together and they started chatting and chatting about the past and school days and all that sort of thing. And they were talking, talking. And then the eight-year-old granddaughter and he started tugging at Grandma's skirt. Grandma, Grandma. And uh, Grandma said, no, no, not now. We're talking, dear. Just wait, just wait. They chatted, chatted, chatted. And the little girl came up. Grandma, Grandma. No, no, no just a minute. We're, we're almost done. Chatted, chatted, chatted. This lady's doing in the supermarket. And then the little girl came again. Grandma, Grandma. Yes. Uh, what is it? What is it you want? She said, it's this, this lady. She said, I know her. What do you mean you know her? Well, I've seen her photograph. Seen her photograph? Where? I saw her photograph on Jesus' desk. She said, I had a vision. The lady, oh no, she said, that means I'm going to die. And the little girl said, oh, just a minute. Just a minute. God gave me a message for you. Just a minute. So she gave the lady and said, I am the Lord who heals you. Oh, she said. Oh. And then she was healed. She was healed. Isn't that a remarkable story? How does that fit into your theology? Yeah. Screws you up in knots, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. You see, God, God is so good. We just sung. He's so, so good to me. God is so, so good. Well, that cranks my tractor. When you hear a story like that, you think, oh, God just knows us through and through. God is a good God. What amazing comfort it is when we suddenly are engulfed in a storm of life to know that God knows everything about me. He knows what's happening. He knows the future. And he still loves me with outrageous love. No matter how stormy it is, his outrageous love just permeates through. Nahum 1.7. <clears throat> A few days ago, a couple came to see us and our generation... They have three daughters, but unfortunately all three daughters were just hit a terrific storm, one after the other, different places in the world. And then their youngest daughter, who's a doctor, uh, just got married, what, ten weeks ago, and then was diagnosed with a brain tumour that's inoperable. And so that's really thrown the whole lot 
into a real spin. And so um, the, the parents came to see us. And the Lord gave us this uh, word for them. It's Nahum 1.7, and it's one of our family uh, promises that we've claimed over the years. The Lord is good. When trouble comes, he is the place to go. He knows all those who trust in him. The Lord is good. When trouble comes, we all get trouble from time to time. It is God is the place that we go because he knows everyone who trusts in him. And of course, our question is, well, do I trust in God? And uh, has God got a message for you this morning? <laughs> yes, he has. Yes, he has. When approaching the subject of God's justice, we've got a problem. It's the problem of logic. We in the West live our lives often governed by logic. And if we approach the Bible and we start reading the Bible with logic, and suddenly we do so, I mean, we just read stories in here and events and <clears throat> circumstances and so often our logic kicks in and think, really? Did God do that? that, is, that is that fair? That can't be right. So you read Acts chapter 5? Oh, Missed that one out. Acts chapter 5 is talks about Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a bit of land. They're going to give the money to the church. And uh, they just lied about it and said, well, we sold it this much. Here's the money. And actually, they sold it for more. And they kept back the, the extra money. Bang! They dropped dead. Instantly. Instantly. Husband and wife. Gone. And you think, God, why? Where's just is in that? Well, I'm not going to talk about that story. <laughs> but just to give you a clue, because I don't want to go into that one, but there is a clue in verse 3 of chapter 5 of Acts. It says there, Peter says, <clears throat> Satan has filled your heart to lie. So there's more to that, just lying about some money that you give part of it and keeps. There's more to it than that, but um, we won't go into that now. But Satan had filled their heart. That's a dangerous. There's better feelings than that. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus told a story, and your logic will flare up at this. He said there was an owner of a state, and he went out in the morning and he needed more laborers to bring in the harvest. So he hired all those who were waiting in the marketplace before dawn, come and work for me for the day, and fix their wages. He went out down again, breakfast time, another lot, he brought those in, at noon, he went out, more people were waiting, the unemployed were there, and he said, come on, I'll take all of you. Tea time, he went out. And then in the evening, again he went out, and there was still something. He said, why aren't you working today? And I said, well, we've been here, but nobody has hired us. Well, come on, I'll hire you. So he had the whole lot. Then night fell, and they all came in from the fields. And from the ones that he hired last of all in the evening, he paid them their wage. And immediately, there were howls of anger because the ones who were hired at dawn said, they're getting the same money as we are, and we've been out in the sun all day. This is not fair. Well, is it fair? 
Some had been working 10 hours, and others worked one hour, and they got exactly the same wage. Jesus said, friend, I am doing you no injustice. We each agreed to that wage. Strange, isn't it? We thought that cannot be fair. It cannot be just. But actually, it was perfectly just. Because God does not operate on logic. He operates on justice. <clears throat> the Bible is full of illogical events and statements. The first shall be last and the last first. Well, that comes out of that story in Matthew 20, actually. If you want to save your life, we'll lose it. John chapter 12. Give away your money, your time, your energy, your gifts. I'll guarantee you get more back. Give, and you get more. Hmm, don't know about that. If you get a hit on the cheek, turn the other one and get another smack. <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me. God doesn't choose the strong and the wise. He chooses the weak and the foolish. Well, Lord Sugar of The Apprentice would have a field day if the 12 disciples appeared before him wanting to get the job. And they were unlearned, ignorant men Fired the whole lot of you. Get out of my sight. What did Jesus do? Jesus picks them up. He dusts them down. He puts the Holy Spirit in them. And then he says, go and change the world. And they did. And they still do. And so do you. Hmm. Not very logical. If we approach the justice of God through logic, we'll never comprehend it. I'm going to pick out two events in the scriptures in a moment. But first, we'll just lock ourselves into the bedrock of what does the Bible actually say about the justice of God? You know, sometimes you might uh, be given a pie chart about God's character and it just gives a list of the attributes or character of God, his love, his compassion, his mercy, his holiness, his justice, and, and so on. And so you think, oh yeah, okay, that's, that's a teaching, I get that. And then you can get teaching on each of God's character, which is great. The trouble is with this... It is absolute rubbish. It is not true. Because this gives the impression that God's love is sort of 23.5% and God's compassion is 15% and God's holiness is 50%. And that's not what the Bible says. That is not God. What does the Bible say? The Bible says God is good 100%. God is love, a hundred percent. I have three children, and I love each one 33 and a third percent. <laughs> no, she says, no, no, no. Each one is loved a hundred percent. And my wife, 200 <laughs> <laughs> percent. The Bible says God is of mercy 100%. God is just. What percentage? 100%. And he is holy. 
100%. Therefore, God is incapable of being unjust. Otherwise, he wouldn't be 100% holy. So we come to the Scripture and say, yeah, I don't understand all these things, but I know that God is 100% just. So whatever God's dealings are with me, he is always just. Always just. It's impossible for God to be unjust. Deuteronomy 32, verse 3. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. Mm. His work is perfect. For all his ways are just. How many ways? All of them. For his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. That's the word of God. Deuteronomy 32, verse 3. Righteous and upright is he. Ah, I love that scripture. But there's a shorty. Placed in Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is just in all his ways. That's comprehensive, isn't it? And he's kind in all he does. Isn't it wonderful to believe in a God who is 100% just, but he's kind in all his ways? The psalm is 145, and it's verse 17. Take the rabbit out the hat. My daughter-in-law made this for me. There we are. This is called the Ark of the Covenant. A golden box that holds the law and the cherubim over the mercy seat. <clears throat> okay. The story I'm going to tell you is 1 Chronicles verse, <clears throat> uh, sorry, 1 Chronicles chapter 13, but I'm not going to take um, time to read that. But <clears throat> I'll just praise you. At this time in the Old Testament, <clears throat> there was a tabernacle that was portable, and it was moved from place to place as the children of Israel moved. And so there was a group of priests called Kerthites, and they <coughs> excuse me. And they were in charge of the furniture and the movement and the transport. They were sort of the Eddie Stobarts of the Old Testament. <laughs> they had specialized training, they were gifted by God, and they had long-term training because they had to get it absolutely right, because we're dealing with something very, very holy. And no physical hand was ever to touch the Ark of the Covenant. It all had to be done with poles and um, hooks and that sort of thing. So <clears throat> it was the holy place where symbolically it held the presence of the holy God uh, for the children of Israel there. And <clears throat> the Philistines came along and they stole it in Saul's time. And they took it to the shrine of their god, Dagon, and put it there. And as you may remember, in the morning they found Dagon had been cut down, his hands cut off and his head and all the rest of it, because the, the power of, in this was not going to be sitting alongside some demonic god there. Well, after a while, the Philistines were so troubled by having the Ark of the Covenant, they decided to send it back into Israel. So they... <coughs> got a couple of milch cows, or ones who had just carved, hooked up a ox cart to them, and they said, right, we're going to send them off, even without the calves, see if they'll go. And they did. And immediately, these two oxen took the ox cart back into Israel 
leaving their calves behind, which was quite remarkable. Well, the glory of God had departed from Israel when the Philistines took this. And <clears throat> when David, who was now king, he, he got so excited when he realized the Ark of the Covenant was coming back into Israel. And so he got all the musicians together and they began to have an absolute rave of a time. It was amazing there trumpets and everything were blowing and their musicians and they were going ahead of the ox cart praising and then the singers were there they had masses and masses everybody was singing worshiping God then the dancers came in and they were leaping and dancing everybody was so excited to get the ark of the covenant back they were so thrilled and then suddenly the oxen hit a rut in the road and they stumbled and Uzzah who was guarding the rear of this cavalcade immediately realized the ark it could slip off and so immediately instead he just put out his hand just to steady it Ow! Does anybody believe in healing? Oh, no, that's all right. Oh, Dan. This is serious. <laughs> I tell you, instantly the musicians just froze. You know, the drummer was up there, the violinist was there. They didn't move. The singers all just stood there with their mouth open, frozen. The dancers were stuck on one leg. <laughs> I mean, they were petrified. And the Bible says that David was angry. But actually, the Bible before that says God was angry. And God said to David, You have not obeyed my law. I told you way back in Numbers chapter 4, the Ark of the Covenant, <laughs> the, the Ark of the Covenant was never to be put on an ox cart. It was to be carried with poles slipped through the silver sockets and on the shoulders of the priests and no man could touch it. <clears throat> and so Uzzah died instantly. David was so upset. Where's the justice in that? Uzzah did not commit premeditated sin. He wasn't tempting anything. He just had a reflex action. Save it. It was just an instinctive thing. It's going to fall off. What he didn't realize was his hand is polluted. If the ark had hit the earth... Would it have been polluted? Well, the earth is neutral. Earth is not good. It is not evil. But man, this fallen man, must not touch that glory of God. As I violated the law, and God kept his word. God was just. Uzzah died. How did Uzzah die? I believe, it's not in the Bible this, but I believe he touched the glory of God and the voltage was so high it just instantly killed him. That's why it's really great sometimes to study the fear of the Lord. Because when you're a Christian, it's absolutely thrilling to feel the presence of God. You feel it here. You have it in the worship. You have it when we're praying. We know the presence of the Lord in the prayer meetings. And that is a thrill. But you know also deep inside you that if God didn't ration the power of his presence, 
we too will be hit the deck. And of course we do hit the deck when the power comes upon us. That's just the power of God going through us. We cannot understand mercy until we have the understanding of divine justice. We can never claim mercy. We never deserve mercy. What we deserve is justice. But God also is full of mercy. We all suffer from injustice. All of us, if we just think back, don't bother, but if we do, we think, yeah, somebody's criticized me, I didn't get the job I should because of this happened, I lost out on that. And we all have suffered injustice. And it's always sort of relation, relationships in, in our circuit. You know, it'd be at school, at work, in the family, church, wherever, neighbors. And whenever we suffer injustice, it is relationary. But I have a relationship with God, and my relationship with God is vertical. You never ever suffer injustice vertically. Whatever injustice you've had has always been horizontal, never vertical. God is totally, totally just. We can never accuse God of injustice. The second story, conflict with justice. I, I suppose the most violent expression of God's wrath. <clears throat> upon an innocent man. Jesus is without sin. Jesus never sinned. Totally innocent. Totally sinless. And yet, he died on the cross. He was punished by God. But why was he punished with death when he had no sin? See, in Genesis 2, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said, because you have sinned, you will die, and you have the loss of the gift of life. Everybody since then will die. Jesus is the only sinless, innocent man ever to be punished by God by death. All of us are going to die physically. But for most of us, justice is delayed. Some die instantly, but for those of us here, the justice of God has been delayed, so grace will have time for us to receive mercy from God. And that's why we're here. That's why we learn about God. and We come to study his word and we come together to encourage one another. We're in that time lag. But for those who believe in Jesus, although we will die because God has said that will happen, we have regained the gift of life through Jesus Christ, eternal life. Everyone who believes in him receives the gift of eternal life. And so we receive that back. Jesus was without sin, so how could it be just for him to die? What was the pivotal point that triggered God's wrath and justice upon his own son? 
Now, sometimes um, it's expressed, and we understand what it means, but it's expressed, Jesus carried my sin on the cross. Uh, well, that's not true. He didn't. Um, we know what it means when we say that, but actually it's not biblical. What did Jesus carry on the cross? Isaiah 53 in verse 5. Jesus carried our grief, he carried our sorrows, and he carried our sicknesses. That's what he carried. And so this morning, I can say to you from the authority of the Word of God, that when you come to the cross of Jesus, and you say, Lord, I just want to empty my life before you. I've made a mess of things, I've failed, but this morning there's, there's a shaft of light come into me, and, and now I know I could just kneel at the cross and you will take my grief. And the sorrow, the sorrow perhaps of my failure, of my mistakes. And you have carried my sicknesses. And when Jesus was beaten, he took a stripe for every type of disease and sickness that there is in the world. So, it is impossible for you to have a sickness that Jesus cannot heal. He's made the provision on the cross. My grandson Joshua, I think some of you met recently, was just telling me um, a couple of days ago, well, he's actually got a video where he saw um, a young girl being raised from the dead. And I thought, isn't that amazing how Jesus is still doing what he did and he's still doing it today. That's the power. And if Jesus can raise the dead today, he can deal with your migraine and your backache or anything else. So Jesus carried our grief, our sorrows, our sicknesses on the cross. But that doesn't deserve the death penalty. <clears throat> Was it just for God to cause Jesus to die? Well, the answer is, of course, it's in the Bible. It has to be, doesn't it? You can't take it from anywhere else. It's too serious. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says this. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Okay. For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be made sin. On our behalf. The second verse, just as important, 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Jesus himself bore in his body our sin. Jesus himself bore our sin in his body on the cross. You see, when I handed my life over to Jesus as an 11-year-old boy, I didn't just confess my sin and Jesus would just carry it and sort of put it in a basket or put it in a rucksack and then hang it on the cross. No, my sin was impregnated into Jesus' body. He was made my sin. He took my sin, not externally, and sort of gave it as a sacrifice to God. He actually accepted my sin for himself. I mean, that blows my mind. But that's what the Bible says. He was made sin. And because he was made sin... He had to pay the penalty of sin because God is a God of justice. He means what he says. And it was when Jesus actually became sin that God, his justice just kicked in because sin carries the death penalty every time. Jesus being with our sin 
activated the curtain of darkness that just fell. And that curtain of darkness separated Jesus from his Father for the very first time. And the last time. It'll never happen again. He did it once and once for all. And in that separation, that's what caused Jesus to call out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is there this darkness between us? And so then Jesus yielded up his spirit and he died. He died. In that moment, he fulfilled justice. He paid the penalty in full. There's nothing else for you to pay. It is paid in full. Jesus went through all that for you and for me. He took what justice demanded and he took it from us. And immediately justice and grace came together on the cross. Wrath and mercy were joined together. And you and I had the freedom to make a choice and say, Jesus, I can never repay what you've done for me. But at the same time, I can't go on much longer carrying the weight of my guilt and my sin and my sorrow and my messed up relationships. I need that to be lifted. Earlier this year, <clears throat> a lady in our church has a daughter. Um, she's 40 years old. <clears throat> and uh, she's severely incapacitated because she, um, was at the age of 30, was dancing, fell and um, smashed her back up. And so she's um, partially paralyzed. She's not, not a believer at all. But she came down uh, to our neck of the woods to look after her mother, who just had a hip operation. And during that week, the lady in our church just kept on saying to her daughter, would you like to get prayer for healing? And she said, oh, no, 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 no. And the days went past, and finally on the last day she gave in, and she said, yeah, all right, all right, it, it's, it's, it's killing me. All right. So the lady gave us a, a buzz and said, could we go down and pray with her daughter? I said, yeah, sure. So we popped down there. But before we did, we said to God, well, I'm not quite sure what you want us to do and what you're going to do. And God very clearly said, do not make a priority of healing her back. There's something far more important this lady needs. She needs me, and she needs my love and my forgiveness, my life. So we went down and we saw this very, very pleasant, well-groomed lady, 40 years old, and uh, we explained to her that we understood she asked us to come pray for healing. She said yes. So I said to her, well, before we pray, we will pray for healing, but would it be all right if I told you who we're going to pray to? She said, oh, yeah, that's fine. So then we just explained about Jesus' life and death. She'd never really heard it like that before. And as we were talking, obviously God was speaking through us, and we began to say things that um, we didn't know about her, but she just resonated there, and she, she gasped, and she, oh, she said, I've got such, such a weight of guilt. She said, things happened way back. I said, yeah, okay. Jesus knows that. But I said, I'll tell you what. If you hand that over to Jesus now, you'll be, that'll be lifted off you. You'll, you'll be clean. You'll be given a new start. So I said, Would you, are you prepared to pray? She said, yeah, I will. Then she looked up, because I said, well, do you need to confess to God what, what, whatever's on your heart? You tell Jesus, and he'll forgive you. And she looked up and saw her mother was still in the room. She said, Mother, 
you mind leaving the room? <laughs> so, bless her. She said, oh, yes, that's fine, that's fine, fine. So she shot off in the kitchen, carried on praying, while her daughter began to confess. And, uh, I mean, fortunately, she, she was in such tears and emotion that we didn't hear anything. That's fine, didn't want to. But after some time of just confessing, just pouring out the years and years of um, the weight and the guilt and everything else was on her, suddenly... She just threw back her head, lifted her head. Oh, she said, oh, it's gone. It's gone. She said, I'm free. I'm free. It's the first time for over 20 years, 23 years, I think she said. For 23 years, I've been carrying this guilt. Oh, she said, it's gone. And she was absolutely thrilled to bits. And she didn't look like she was a paralyzed, I think, because she jumped out the chair and she was jigging around. And, oh, she's so happy. And she just gave her life to the Lord right then and there. She's totally, totally thrilled. And Sue and I were wow, this just has to be God. This is God. Just carry on. Nothing to do with me. <laughs> yeah. Isn't God good? She went back to London. And um, she's not healed, by the way, um, of that physical thing. But she's absolute uh, dynamite in the church that she's going to. Absolute dynamite. And it's just a joy. But just to say how God's goodness in just the little things. She went back to her flat in London and she had a bill and she's on oh no, she'd separated from her partner and uh, she had a builder come in to do some decorating or whatever. He happened to be a real live Christian and uh, he said, oh, he said, I see you've got a Bible here. I haven't seen that before. She said, oh, yes, she said, uh, you know, I've, I, I've, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm changed. Oh, he said, oh, that's good. And he began to disciple her. And uh, she didn't know how to pray or how to read the Bible or anything. And uh, so over the next few weeks while he was doing a house up, he was just discipling her until he managed to find a decent church, um, I don't mean a decent church, I mean a church, uh, <laughs> a good church. <clears throat> yeah. God is good. I started off this morning saying a little girl of eight had a message from Jesus and it was directly for that woman. What message has Jesus got for you this morning? I have sought to take a difficult subject and to put it into the context of our everyday life, but we still have to face the truth. God is just. We will all meet with God face to face at some point. But we have the choice today to be known by God and to be thrilled to bits that when we see him face to face, oh, that's, that's so wonderful because there is no sin in me that Jesus hasn't forgiven. And I can stand before God clothed in the robe of righteousness knowing I'm not guilty, I'm not embarrassed, I'm not ashamed, here I am. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly to render to each man the things that he has done and I bring my reward with me. I bring my reward. God's justice is as just in his rewards as well as in his punishment. It's our choice what we receive from him. Let's stand, shall we? <clears throat> It is so important this morning that you do not just accept what you've heard intellectually and analyze it and comment on it. It's important that you allow it to go through and bypass your logic into your heart and say, God, what are you actually saying to me? Why 
Have I heard this this morning? What is my next step? What is it you want me to reach out and do? And those of you who are here this morning and you've never consciously opened up your life and your heart to Jesus Christ who died on the cross and into whose body your sin is catered for totally, the penalty paid. But if you do not receive that gift, then you cannot be forgiven. You retain your sin within yourself. And so it's this morning, there is your opportunity to come and hand over the basket of sin and of failure and grief and say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to thank you for taking my place, paying my penalty in full, that I may walk free. And if you would do that, then Jesus promises, I will never turn anyone away who opens their heart to me. And he means that this morning. So in a moment, I'm going to ask Freya to lead us in worship with Dave. And those of you who want to bring your heart to Jesus Christ this morning, I'd like you to come forward. And there may be some of you here who perhaps did this a long time ago, but you've come back this morning to this church and you know that you need to come back to God. You need to have the fire of his love burning brightly again within you. And this morning there's been a stirring within your heart. Yes, I need to hear from God. I need to have that close relationship with God again. You come as well because Jesus is here to receive those who have been following afar off and you need to return and say, Jesus, connect me again to the Father and let me walk with you. And I did say that Jesus carried on the cross not only a grief, not only a sorrow, but also your sicknesses. And if you believe that there's a message of faith and hope in your heart this morning for healing, then you are most welcome to come and we will be only too glad to pray with you for your healing or if you are in a storm of life and you've just got that weight on you and you need somebody just to come alongside, to put their arms around you and to love you into the freedom of handing over that bundle to Jesus. The Lord is good. When trouble comes, he is the place to go. So you come and go to him with us, and we will pray with you. Thank you.